Well, it's great to be back with you guys this morning. I, I generally missed you over the last couple of weeks. My uh, wife and I got a nice chance to, to be away and get refreshed and encouraged, and so thank you for that gift. And I want to personally uh, thank John, and uh, just what a fantastic job uh, he did in, did in the last couple of weeks. So we're grateful for him. Well, just before uh, we left on our vacation, we took some time, and uh, my youngest daughter, Sienna, uh, who's growing up so quickly, we have a picture there of our little peanut, and uh, she had her fifth birthday, and uh, we had a little get-together. We invited the the kids from the, the neighborhood over to our community pool, and we gave out cupcakes and had a little mini birthday party just in our, our little uh, cul-de-sac of where our townhome's at, and uh, just had a great time celebrating all those guys, having a fantastic time. We introduced, every good birthday party should have this, a what? Pinata. You should know this. So whoever invented the pinata was a genius, like a big colorful thing that's full of candy, and kids hit it with a bat until it rains candy on them. Like, what a fantastic idea. And so, and so we had this, this lineup of kids, and uh, a couple from the church were over there, and they're taking their turns just whacking the sucker, and then one of them had the perfect swing and connected with that thing, and candy comes out, flooding everything. And uh, it was just a, a fun time, kids wrestling, tagging each other, tackling each other, biting each other just to get the candy. And uh, afterwards, I noticed everybody was happy except for my son. My son came over and he's kind of pouting, uh, kind of like our pouting prophet we're going to see here this, this morning with Elijah and uh, with Jonah. I'm sorry, wrong story. That's the next series. Um, but my son comes over and I'm, I'm like, buddy, what, what's wrong? He's like, I didn't get a turn to hit the pinata. And, uh, and of course, you know, so he was pretty worked up about that. And I, I had to sit him down and explain. I'm like, son, this party wasn't about you. It's not about you. It's, it's Sienna's birthday. This, this, maybe you've had a similar conversation with one of your children before. And reminding him, like, this party isn't about you. And I think, as I was explaining that, I think that's exactly what this story of Jonah is telling us. The story of Jonah is not about Jonah. Jonah just happens to be a character in the story, but the story is about God's character being revealed to us. We're getting a little clear, cleaner and clearer glimpse of who Almighty God is and how he interacts with his people through these four chapters. If you guys want to start turning to the book of Jonah, we're going to be looking at that. Last week we had an amazing glimpse of this story of, of, of God's faithfulness and his, his kindness to, to his people. And when I say his people, I say his people because all people are his people. We're going to see in this text here this morning. But what we come to realize, not only is this story not just about Jonah, it's about God's character. That's also true in our own lives, right? Our story isn't about our greatness or our legacy and, uh, uh, and the things that we accomplish. It's all about God. It's all about his glory. And it's fascinating to me that uh, God even gets glory through our mistakes and our sin and our mess-ups. He gets glory either for his justice or for his grace extended. He gets glory when we are obedient because it, we see his power working in and through us. So it's all about him. And so Jonah's realizing that a little pieces at a time. And last week we saw as an amazing glimpse of God's grace as the city of Nineveh, as John explained, 
the largest city in the world, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, has a mass revival. Has this mass revival. The entire nation, their entire capital, being influenced by this this one man's message. I love in chapter 3, verse 5, it says this, And the people of Nineveh believed God. The people of Nineveh believed God. I thought that was interesting because it, was, it doesn't say anything about them believing Jonah, right? Because remember, his message was, was pretty lame. It gave hope to even the worst evangelists. What he said was going around the city saying, Yet forty days, and then Nineveh shall be overthrown. Pretty convicting, compelling message. Not so much. But they heard and they believed God. And this is, this is what John explained last week is the only explanation was this was something supernatural. This is something God working behind the scenes like only he can, an entire city coming to the point of repentance. And so it was the only can be explained by the supernatural because the cool thing is about our God, when he chooses to pursue somebody, he becomes irresistible. He becomes irresistible. It doesn't matter what kind of walls we've built up in our lives, what kind of, what, 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 you know what I'm saying. What has gotten in the way of us embracing him, he tears all of that down. And that's exactly what happens in the city of Nineveh. He breaks all of that and becomes irresistible. And that's my prayer even here this morning. If there's somebody here that's never made the choice to turn from their sin, to embrace Jesus' death for forgiveness of their sins, that this would be the morning that those walls come down. Because when God's pursuing somebody, he's irresistible, as we see there in the text last week. And so you expect Jonah, as any good missionary, what would be the response of the revival of an entire nation? Or, I'm sorry, an entire city. What would be your response? You'd be, as a missionary, you'd be doing backflips. You'd be celebrating, right? Can you imagine Jim Liljegren coming back from one of his trips to Russia and being, giving us a report and saying, you know what? Moscow converted to Christ. And we're like, we're like, that's awesome. Somebody from Moscow convert. No, you don't understand. Like the entire city and the, the the president of Russia, they all converted to Christ. Can you imagine as a missionary, you'd be doing backflips. You'd be so excited, you couldn't contain yourself. But is that Jonah's response? Is that how he responds? Turn with me to chapter four and let me pray as we begin our time in the text. Dear God, we thank you so much for this chance to learn from this story. Maybe a lot of things about not how we're supposed to behave, but how awesome and faithful you are. How your grace extends to the, the most barbaric people. How your forgiveness is is a, is a offer to every single person. God, I pray that you just reveal yourself to us here this morning. That we get a little bit clearer glimpse of who you are and how awesome you are. We love you and praise you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, chapter 4, verse 1, we're going to see what Jonah's response is to this mass revival of the city of Nineveh. Take a look in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. What in the world? And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when, when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. 
Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? Let's pause there for a second. Just unbelievable hatred Jonah must have had for this people group. Isn't that unbelievable? For, the, for these Assyrians, such hatred. Look at, look at them just pouting, as John described them as the, the pouting prophet. I knew this was going to happen. I knew it. I just knew it. There's a major gap between God's feeling about Nineveh's repentance to Jonah's feeling, right? How he responded. I'm imagining God was just celebrating while Jonah's there pouting about this fact. So what we've realized is that a lot of times, and this is the case with Jonah, we're fine with being on the receiving end of God's grace and mercy. But when others, the people that maybe we don't want to see receive that, when they're on the receiving end, we're frustrated by it. And that's what Jonah, what happens with Jonah. He's fine with being just a few days earlier, saved from the belly of this great fish and having his life redirected. And so what we realize As the readers started reading this book of Jonah, they probably thought it was about the city of Nineveh coming to repentance. What we start to realize is about a prophet of God turning from, hopefully, we don't even know in the end of the story what happens, but a prejudiced prophet having his heart changed. Having his heart changed. And so we get a glimpse that God, I love that that Jonah's attacks are actually elevating God's greatness, that he's consistently compassionate. Our God is consistently compassionate. Look what Jonah says about him as, he, as he's moaning and bellyaching. He's, he's actually quoting Exodus 34, 6, where God had revealed his character to Moses. And he starts saying, these, he's like, I knew you were going to be kind and forgiving. What kind of an insult is that? You know what I mean? Like, I just knew it. You were going to be nice and forgive. And that's why I didn't want to come here. Like, how pathetic. So he's questioning God's character. He's saying, He's saying, how could you do this? How could you release this people and forgive them? He was actually waiting to celebrate their demise. He was hoping just by some small chance, God would not be known for his character that he has been for generation and generation. He was hoping that they wouldn't repent. And so God, in his, in his patience, in his kindness, he doesn't respond. Can you imagine if you're God and you're hearing this from your peon prophet? You'd be like, are you kidding me? This whole nation just, just repented and converted and you're complaining about that? What in the world? But God in his patience, his compassion, because that's what God does. He responds with compassion. He says this to him. Do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? Just a simple response. Just a, a response of compassion. You realize... When you're wrong, have you guys noticed this before? When you're really wrong and somebody says something to call you out and being wrong, a lot of times there's not much response, right? You're just left there just sitting like, all right, I blew it. This, this past week, my, uh, my wife on, that, on the day at the, at the beach, it was a, a hazy day. They, we do this ABF. If you haven't been to this thing, it's fun. The ABF beach days on, what time is that at? Here's my, 
Wednesdays from 11 to, there's my advertisement for that, Wednesdays at 11, uh, she was there in our, it was a real hazy, cold day, and our kid, our son, our kids didn't realize we're still learning this California culture thing, they got blitz sunburn, like they got just cashed in, and, and they're coming back just complaining about the shoulders and the neck and the pink cheeks, and we're like, and, uh, and so I was like, man, hon, just, I was frustrated, and uh, came a little bit later, and I'm like, so I, I was like, so Adrian, what, what actually happened there? Why didn't you put on sunscreen on the, on the kids? And, and she, said, she said this to me. She said this. She's like, are you really wondering what happened? Or are you just trying to revisit the fact that I blew it? And I was like, oh. <laughs> and uh, we're being real here, right? We're being real here. And, 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 and you know what my response was to that? Very similar to Jonah. Not a whole lot I could say there. Like, not a whole lot I could say. I, I was being a jerk. I apologize later, I believe. And, uh, and um, I'm sure I did. I'm sure I did. And, um, and, so, and so point being here, Jonah, in his prejudiced, ridiculous state here, when he's actually called out and God says, really? Do you do well to be angry here? He has nothing to say. He's got no response because when we're guilty, we're guilty. And that's exactly the case here. And so we continue in the text to see how God responds to this. In verse 5, we see Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Let's pause there for a second. I thought this was really interesting because I think it's cool that we start to see how actively involved in our lives God is. How actively, God is actively involved in our lives. Notice that Jonah is still clinging to the hope that maybe God might still destroy this city. He's waiting the 40 days have it come up. Maybe they'll blow it. Maybe they'll, they'll turn back. Maybe it's not a genuine repentance. He's still hoping that there'll be a destructive conclusion to this story. So what does he do? He goes out and he build, builds his own little hut. He makes a little, I don't, can't picture exactly what it would be like, but probably so, some kind of an awning over his head to protect himself from the, from the sun. And what does God do? God, God comes alongside and helps them out. Can you imagine seeing this in a, in a desert environment in the, in the act of a day of a plant just a, a big enough to come and cover you all of a sudden grows and gives you shade? And, and, and so that's what, exactly what God does. He chooses to engage with good old Jonah. And so he, he's protecting him, more, giving more complete protection from the sun. I've realized living here in California in this desert environment, and what a big deal that is, being protected from the sun. And uh, we learned that with sunblock, too. Um, and so uh, that wasn't a jab, huh? Uh, <laughs> and, and, so, and so the if, uh, so in, the, in, the, in this happening, you start to see that God is actively involved in our lives, even, even the smallest of dealings. 
Sometimes, if you're honest with yourselves, you hear somebody describe something that happened in their week, and you're like, and they start to uh, connect that to like, yeah, God had that rabbit cross the road at just the right time. It made me, you know what I mean? You hear these stories, and you're like, kind of rolling your eyes. I'm like, really? I don't know if God's that actively involved in, in our lives in these small scenarios. But here in the text, you see exactly that. That God cares about the little details in our lives. He cares, cares about the smallest stuff. He's, he's causing a plant to grow up overly, overly just to teach Jonah a lesson that he's involved. I love this reveals the, the level of intimacy that we have with Creator God. We have this tendency to think that God maybe created this whole deal and then stepped away. But we see here in the text that God's actively involved in our lives. And Jonah has this roller coaster of emotion the first time that you actually see him happy in the entire book. Why is he happy? Because he's comfortable. He's comfortable. He's finally, he's protected from the sun. He's he's back to this comfortable existence. What I was thinking about as it relates to this is, is how quickly we can point at Jonah and be like, man, Jonah, you've really blown it. You're, you're, you're You're totally wrapped up in being comfortable but you're okay with millions perishing around you. You're fine with being comfortable and you're wrapped up in that, but you're okay with millions around us perishing. And before we're too quick to point a finger at Jonah, we got to ask ourselves the question, as I was wrestling through this myself, is that maybe what I'm consumed with? As long as I'm comfortable, who cares what happens to the people around me? Where are we at as a church with this? Where are we at individually with this? Are we okay as long as our comfort's in place? Are we okay with the world around us crashing? We see Jonah learning, starting to get introduced to a lesson God wants to teach him. Take a look at the next couple verses, what God, how God continues moving and working in the story. Verse 7 says this, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. Again, I love seeing how God's just at work, just moving appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. So you see not, not, a, not much of a change in this, this prophet's heart, right? There's kind of a reoccurring death wish I've noticed in Jonah's life. Like, it doesn't ter- take a whole lot for him to be ready to die. And, uh, and so you see, I, I love this. I love how, how God uses nature to kind of mess with Jonah. Let's be, let's be real. As we're learning about God's character in the text, like God's using things that are at his disposal to, 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 to shape and mold Jonah. He's like, man, uh, if you thought that plant was cool, check out the size of this worm that I'm sending to kill that plant, you know? Like, okay, think about this. Like if it's a plant that's huge enough to cover Jonah, how big would that worm be that killed the plant? You know what I mean? Like can you imagine that thing coming out of the ground, wrapping itself around it? And he uses a thing that's at his disposal. Everything is at his disposal. What does, he, what does it say? that he, he, he redirects this wind to come and just make it really scorching hot and unbearable. I was reading, actually, John pointed me to, it was a, a, a wind called the Sirocco. 
And it would take the, the temperature there from being an average temperature of around 110, 100 degrees already hot and in, increase that by about uh, 20, 30 degrees. Can you imagine? So this scorching heat was just, just, just probably just mind-blowing. And so God is there utilizing the things that are at his disposal. It says, what does it say? That he appointed them. He's like, worm, do this. Wind, do this. Plant, do this. That is all at God's beck and hand. It's awesome to think about. But as you think about it, in this text, you've got to pause and ask yourself, is God just being cruel to him? Kind of. A little bit. A little bit. But, but maybe our definition of cruel is maybe a little bit jaded. The truth is that we have a God that's okay with causing some discomfort in our lives for the greater good of shaping our character. You guys catch that? That's a big thing to recognize that we see in this story. We have a God that's okay with causing some discomfort in our lives for the betterment of shaping our character. That's the truth from this text. If there's any takeaway that we're going to glean from God Almighty, that's it. That he was more, it was more important to him that, that, that this, this root of bitterness and this, this root of, of, of hatred that Jonah had towards these people, this, this concern with self and disconcern with others be rooted out. That he's not so concerned about a, a little bit of heat over exposure to the sun. Like he's okay with that. And for us, we have to recognize as we're going through storms and trials in our lives that sometimes God's using those to shape us, to mold us, to make us more into his likeness. I know my, my wife and I, we had quite a, a journey before having kids, and it was a long road. I'm not sure exactly how many, three or four years of, of trying to have kids and just that, that, that oh, every month, that just frustration of, man, just God. What are, you, what are you doing here? And just to seeing his faithfulness, that he was okay with us going through that drought, that season, because we grew recognizing that it all comes from him. It's his timing. We have no reign over that. We have no control over that. Our dependence on him, our calling out, our prayer life grew increasingly and dramatically because of that difficult period. What is it for you? What has it been in your life? What season has he taken you through to grow your dependence, or to allow you to be mixed up and not be quite so comfortable anymore. What is he doing? What unimportant things are consuming you that he's wanting to rid you of? I don't know what that is. Maybe it's getting more stuff. Maybe we've elevated that too big of a deal. Maybe it's this obsession with I don't know, fitness. Uh, I see that around this, this, this area. I, I go to 24 Fitness, and there's a lot of people that are taking that pretty serious, you know? Some guys that have muscles in places I didn't even know you could get them. Like, uh, we, we, we have a lot of things that, that can get out of place, this pursuit, this obsession with, with, uh, with Hollywood celebrities. There's, there's quite a bit of that here. Where, what has gotten out of place? Elevated love of sports. You fill in the blank. What is God saying? Man, that's just gotten out of whack. Your priorities have gotten twisted. Jonah's priorities of comfort had gotten twisted. And God was okay with some discomfort to get him back on track. Let's see how the the story continues in verse 10. We get a glimpse of this truth that God cares about all people. Take a look at verse 10. It says, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night? 
And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? I thought it was interesting. First thing, thinking through back, if you remember where you're at when 9-11 happened, when the, the, the attack on the United States, when we saw those images on the, the screen, just how horrible it was. And I remember, if I'm honest with myself, thinking through, man, what are, what are God's thoughts of those, those, those radical folks that were just taking this, this hatred to such extreme against the United States? And, and, and the, 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 you, you kind of started thinking of them as this barbaric people. And, and you started wondering, what are God's thoughts on those people? What we see in this story, guess what? He loves them too. He loves them too. Your eyes have never set on somebody that God is not crazy about. It doesn't matter what barbaric nation they're from. It doesn't matter what uh, ethnicity they are. It doesn't matter rich, poor, homeless, successful, depressed. Your eyes have never fallen, as we see in the text here, on a person that God is not crazy about. His compassion reaches out to the entire world. The entire world. It doesn't matter who they are. If somebody has sin that's separating them from a relationship with him, his heart of compassion goes out to them because that's who he is. That's who he is. That's not something he just conjures up. That's who he is. He's a God of compassion. Look at what he describes this, this lost people. As. He says that they don't know their right hand from their left. And some people might make the argument that he was describing the kids there in, in the, the text. I think he's describing the whole people, the entire race of people there. The entire race. They were just clueless. They were clueless to things eternal. They were clueless that there's an almighty God that they were going to give an account to. And isn't that what we're surrounded with here today? A world that's clueless, that doesn't know their right hand from their left, doesn't recognize that one day we're going to give an account for our actions, and if we don't have the blood of Jesus Christ covering us, we're in big trouble before Almighty God. And so he describes there, he's making this point, he's pulling, slowing Jonah down, he's taking even compassion for this prejudiced prophet, and he's saying, slow down and think about this for a second. Think about this. You're so concerned about this plant. You're so concerned about your comfort. And you're forgetting about this 120,000 people. Shouldn't I extend compassion to them? Shouldn't that be part of your heart? If my heart's for this, shouldn't your heart be for that? If me as creator God have a, has a compassion for these people, it made me think as I was, I was breaking down this text of Jesus' last words on the cross, right? Forgive them. Or they knew, know not what they do. And I think that's the way he sees this people group as not knowing their right hand from their left. He cares about every single person, all of his creation. I thought it was interesting. I, I brought this up to Rod earlier this week. How, how interesting that the last couple words there. So he describes this people group that was lost and also much cattle. There's certain parts of, of God's word that you're not really quite sure what to do with. So, so, so that, that, that section there, I was thinking from an from a animal lover's perspective, like that, that person would say that he cares about all of his creation, every single beast of, of the field, every single. Now, now, from the meat lover's perspective, 
It's God's appreciation for a good steak. I don't know. Like you can, you can interpret that last point there. But the idea is this, the overarching theme is that when grace wins, everything wins. All people, nations, all of God's creation wins. When God's grace breaks through to somebody, everything wins. Everything wins. That's why the, all of the earth cries out for Christ's return, because all of it wins when grace wins. And that's what we see in the text. But I thought it was fascinating, as, the, as we conclude here this morning, at the, at the end of the text, don't you wonder what Jonah's response is? Don't you wonder? Don't, aren't you kind of like, wait a second. So he just got this like verbal beatdown and this ultimate illustration. Like, how's he going to respond to God's the point that he's making here? Don't you wonder that? I, I don't know. When I'm reading text, I'm like, okay, what happened with Jonah? And I go back to what I started with here today. What was this story about? Who's the story about? It's not about Jonah. It's not about Jonah. It's, it's, it's less about Jonah's response. Maybe the question isn't how did Jonah respond. It's more about how do I respond? How do I respond to this God of compassion? How do I respond to this, this, this calling out of, of elevated things that have gotten to be more important than the thing that breaks God's heart is lost people? How do I respond to that? And so I, I think God, probably not on accident, left us with that question, left us as he's been revealing his character. I was thinking through the entire story of Jonah, how many different things that we've learned about his his character. We've seen a few things. The first thing, he takes sin really seriously. And that sin gets elevated to, to him and he can't not respond to it. He's the God of second chances. He's in the control over the weather and animals. He disciplines those he loves. He has a plan for our lives. Jonah found that out. You can either do it uh, willingly or resist him in that. He includes his people in his work. He responds to repentance. Isn't that good news? How about this about him? He loves to teach us lessons in the most crazy ways. A lot of us can attest to that in our own story, right? He's everywhere we go. He's creative. He moves in sinners' hearts. The list goes on and on because this story is about God's glory and his faithfulness in people's lives. So my hope this morning, if anything that you take from this, is just the greatness of God. What if we don't have 10 things that we need to work on this morning? Everybody okay with that? What if we just walk away from church, one church service saying like, wow, God is awesome. God's actively involved in my life. He cares about the most silly of details. He loves me. He pursues me. And when I blow it, his natural response is compassion. That's the God we serve. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for the story of Jonah. Because as was mentioned, there's a little bit of Jonah in each one of us. We get wrapped up in the wrong stuff. We get confused about what matters. God, we thank you, though, that your response, similarly to Jonah, isn't taking the sledgehammer out and pounding us with it. It's an act of compassion, an opportunity for repentance. God, we thank you for your character revealed in this story. We thank you for your loving kindness, not just in Jonah's life, but in our life on a daily basis, God. Your grace is new every morning, and we're grateful for that. 
We love you and praise you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, let's live in that reality this week and maybe extend it to somebody around us. If you need to be prayed for this morning, we have elders up here available for that. God bless you. Have a fantastic week.